Hitting revenue targets is hard and requires constant hustle. Last quarter's success is already forgotten. Learn the mindset and tactics of today's most successful revenue producers in B2B marketing and sales. We call this the revenue hustle. I'm your host, Tom Hessen, navigating you on this journey. Today's show is sponsored by Nine Lenses, an interactive assessment platform that enables you to add instant value to your buyers and allows your sales team to tailor business conversations focused on the pain points each and every time. Check them out at NineLenses.com. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce Lauren Coles to the Revenue Hustle podcast. Lauren, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Tom. Very excited for our conversation. I have been really looking forward to this. So let me just formally introduce Lauren to the audience. So Lauren, you've been the CEO of AllianceSphere, the managing director of AllianceSphere for the past 18 years. You started the company. We're going to talk a lot about that. You've also been, prior to that, the SVP of Alliances at IXL, which many may not know, but now is Razorfish, right, through acquisitions. Um, but, you know, the way I think of you, Lauren, and you've been a good friend for the past few years, you know, you're the CEO of a company. So that obviously has its own hat. Um, but really, at the core, you are a sales model transformation consultant, really working with the largest sales forces on the planet, the largest sales ecosystems with, you know, thousands of sellers, hundreds of thousands of channel partners, for example, um, but then also just a sales channel and ecosystem expert, right? And so that's why your company is called Alliance Sphere, right? So we'll talk right. a lot about that. Um, but you've got a tremendous amount of knowledge and um, you just can create sales models just on the fly. So I'm really looking forward to this. So again, Lauren, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Tom. And, you know, I'll tell you, every day we're learning something new. And I would just say what drives us is the customer. I mean, really, the customers at the center has been at the center of everything that we've been doing. Um, all the models, everything that we focus on, uh, our North Star has always been the end customer. So if what we're doing creates value and delivers business outcomes uh, faster um, for the end customer, then what we're doing, we know, makes sense. And I think that the world is just changing. Uh, yeah. When you start thinking about, um, you know, all, you know, the 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 impact of digital transformation and um, all the different models when we start thinking about how do we want to get to the customer from uh, large customers to medium customers to small customers, trying to understand what is that ideal customer profile, what is the buyer persona, how do we map to the customer journey. Um, it's not simple. It's a completely new way of doing that because uh, it's not just about direct sales anymore. It's about direct selling, it's about social selling, it's about AI, it's about e-commerce, it's about marketplaces, it's about the channel, it's about the ecosystem. Um, and quite frankly, you're seeing uh, the chief revenue officer in many, many companies, you know, a bit of uh, what I say, a, a deer in the headlights. Um, you know, this is not what they necessarily signed up for. A lot of the guys or women that have kind of grown up have been phenomenal uh, direct salespeople who've been pretty much able to do it on their own. Now all of a sudden, they're being asked to do things in, in ways that they never thought about having to do. So it's not just about them, it's about figuring out how to take advantage of the data, take advantage of different partners, take advantage of, and now have to deal with this whole virtual right. world. Yeah. Well, I think this speaks to just, you know, the, the role of sales has been changing, right, over the past, 
um, several years. Digital transformation has introduced all sorts of change into just companies alone, as well as sales organizations. Just talk about kind of what you were seeing and working with kind of pre-COVID in terms of digital transformation and the challenges sales reps and sales teams were having. And now what is it like inside of COVID? Because it has exposed all sorts of new problems. All right, see if I can unpack that. That is quite a question. Um, all right, so let me just begin by talking about AllianceSphere for a second. Um, we started the company, as you said, about 18 years ago. And even 18 years ago, 2002, we had a hypothesis and a belief that selling was changing, absolutely changing. And we believed that the customer, it was the age of the customer, it was always gonna be about the customer, but if you really put the customer at the center of everything you're doing, you really have to think through all the touch points and everything that a customer um, interacts with your brand in general. So we had seen, especially in enterprise selling, the importance of the global systems integrator or the consulting firm. And so when you really think about complex selling, even back in 2002, and this is right after Y2K and after you know the dot. Um, Dot, dot com bust, um, you know, it's still, you've got to figure out, you know, to solve really complex issues for the customer, the role of a consultant or the systems integrator played a huge role. Well, most companies didn't even understand how to do that. They didn't know how to work with the consulting firms and a software company to go to market together to go solve a problem. That was really one of the main things that we were trying to solve as a company was really address this co-sell model. You know, this co-sell model, it wasn't even that innovative or new even back then. It's been going on. It's just, was there a repeatable, predictable, scalable model for co-selling? And the answer was no. And, and what's crazy is here we are 18, later, 18 years later, and it's still a challenge. Okay. But what's happened from the 18 years of when we started the company to where we are today, and you just look at it, even if all you did was look at the technology enhancements that have happened in our life over the 18 years. You know, cloud is mainstreaming right now, just the concept of cloud. Software as a service is mainstreaming. Um, and then you've got data and AI and all these other things, Kevin. And now this new movement around hyper automation, I mean, just so much is going on. And so in addition to COVID, just if we looked at the trends that were going on over the last you know, 18 years, you have to really think about how does the customer buy? You know, really, how are they buying and what's changed in the buying process? I mean, it, it, is, it is dramatic. We're shifting from a transaction to selling outcomes. I mean, that in itself, and the transaction is really just this one thing where I would argue it's going from the transaction to the life cycle. You know, you're really looking at, it's not just what we're selling them today, but you know, you know, TSIA has this model around land, adopt, expand, renew. Very important, it's not just about landing the deal, but how do we drive the adoption around the deal and then expansion and then the renewal. And again, if you're not mapping your entire sales resources or your go-to-market resources against that, you're making it difficult. You know, what is the one thing that we all want from, a selling if I was looking at it, I say this is the one thing we want from the marketing team or the one thing we want from our go-to-market we want to make it easy for the customers to buy and easy for our sellers to sell sounds easy but that's that's what we all want right that's right. that's the ultimate goal 
And I would say, when I say I want the sellers to sell, I'm not just talking about my direct sales team. I'm talking about all routes to that end customer. So if I have a channel partner, I want them to represent my brand and represent my offerings in a way, the same way my direct sales team would be offering that. And we need to be very conscientious about that. So when I look at what's happened pre-COVID to where we are today, you know, you know, and I think if you see the data and all the reports that are coming out, it's just accelerated the trends that we already knew. It's, I mean, that's what really has happened with COVID is that these trends have been happening for quite a while. I'll give you an example. You know, when IoT became sort of like a, a buzz and everybody started talking about IoT, anybody that's trying to sell an industrial Internet of Things solution or an Internet of Things solution, regardless if it's a B2B or B2C, everyone knows it's seven to 10 companies that have to show up to solve that problem. Well, if I'm a sales guy, and I'm used to just selling alone, you know, or not even that well, even selling with my own internal resources. Now all of a sudden I got to work with seven, eight other companies to go solve a customer problem. It's not yeah. happening. Yeah. It's not happening. So it's not, it's not a natural act, this collaborative selling. It's, a, it's evolving. So, but IoT was driving this. I mean, we saw it coming. The other big thing that we saw coming was the cloud and SaaS. I mean, if you if you really look at the, the, if you're a software company today and you're a native born in the cloud software company, you get it. There's, there's no legacy, there's no baggage. You get what I'm talking about right now. Right. Yeah. But if you come from a legacy software company who's been trying to sell on-prem and it's been you know kind of the basic ELA, and now all of a sudden you're trying to sell you know, consumption, usage, uh, outcomes, um, you know, it's just, it, it's more of a, a completely different contract that what we sold before. And it's just, it's just different. We kind of knew who our buyer was. We sort of worked in that lane and sold. Now there's all kinds of different, we got to not just, if I was selling to IT, IT may not yeah. even be part of the decision, the line of business. So right. there's, there's, there's new buyers, there's new decision makers. And so you've got to up your game and really understand that. So pre-COVID, we knew all these things were happening. I mean, I, I, I got to tell you, I've been working on these issues every day. But there, there's something that this, and this is a really important point when we start talking about, um, you know, what's happened since COVID, what's happening right now, and what we predict, you know, in the future. COVID has really put a spotlight on exactly what's been going on for a long time. And there's two very dramatic trends that have happened. Number one, it is accelerated digital. It's accelerated digital. You know, what does that really mean? Well, that means that initiatives that are tied to digital transformation or tied to creating a better customer experience or tied to things that are related to digital, it's accelerated it. And so, and what's interesting, it just came out, I believe, uh, well, I saw this from Gartner data, is that the board is driving it. It's not IT, it's not the line of business, it's literally the board, especially in the incumbent companies, because they're nervous that their company could go extinct. extinct. And so they're driving it. Now the, the flip side of that is, you gotta be on the right side of that spend. 
if you're not where that they want to spend the money and you're selling either something that's viewed as old or not part of the solution going forward, you're going to get lost. Yeah, you're going to get lost. So the good news is if you're on the right side of where they want to spend money, you're seeing that opportunity emerge for you. So that's one thing is digital acceleration has happened. The other thing is digital has had a direct impact in the way that we think about our offerings and the way we interact with the customer. Okay. So obviously um, we can't no we can no longer, you know, if I'm a direct sales guy, you know, take them out on the golf course and you know and build the relationship that way. I can't do that. The second thing is I can't just, you know, roam the halls. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I can't just go walk the halls and pop my head in and you know begin to get to new opportunities. So that clearly has been a change. And that change, I believe, is going to be much more permanent because what's fascinating in the data is that while we as sellers may find we're losing out, we enjoyed meeting with our customers, we loved whiteboarding in a room with them, we loved building the relationships, and I, I, it will come back, but customers are pretty happy right now. This is the part that's blowing me away, kind of the counterintuitive. The data that's coming back is saying, I'm pretty happy with this uh, virtual selling. I'm pretty happy with the way that we have to have a more structured conversation versus these sales guys that might have been wasting my time. So mm -hmm. they're feeling like the experience is actually better. So what we're seeing again in the data, and I think this came from, um, it's McKinsey. There is data that's showing that the interaction, the customer interaction, even the stuff that Nine Lenses does, which I think is a really important thing to think about, the interactive tools, the way we interact with the customer, they're seeing a three times increase in the time that they want those digital experiences. So I think people are, now some people could be a little slow, but the data is showing that you've got to digitize that customer experience. Another interesting point in that is something from Forrester, you know, Jay McBain, my friend Jay McBain, you know, he predicted, you know, how a lot of this was going to move to e-commerce and to marketplaces and all that type of stuff. But he had, you know, that going out, you know, two, three years was what he predicted it would mainstream. He came back and said, it's already happening. So there is just changes going on that I, I hope people that are listening to this podcast will really just take a pause and just reflect because it, there's so much going on at one time right. that we really have to make sure. So you've got these things going on that I, again, like I said, uh, the digital acceleration and how it's impacting the way that we look at the interaction and our offerings. So the exp they're very comfortable with the chat, you know, the chatbot feature. I mean, you may not be comfortable, but the customer seems to be okay doing that. And so all of this, as a, if I'm a chief revenue officer and I'm having to deal with this new COVID world, step back, look at your customer and really ask yourself, how do we best get to market and go to market in a way that achieves the objective that you want and achieves most importantly the objective that your customer wants. And really focus on that. And when you focus on that, throw away, it, try your hardest to not rest on the past. I mean, right. I almost would say take a clean sheet of paper and really think about what's the best way we can do that. Now, where partnerships come into this, 
And we've seen this momentum in the last six months, nine months, like we've never seen before. Because that sales rep cannot pop their head down in the hall or take them out to the golf course, what are the two things that a salesperson wants? What, what, what are the, you know, what I, what I would say, in an, I'll say to any salesperson, what do you want more than anything in the world when you're selling? Two things. I would say, I want, I want customer intelligence. That's what I want. Well, what is customer intelligence? I want knowledge and I want access. Knowledge is giving me all the information. You know, when I'm selling to a target account or that idea, I wanna know everything that's going on in that account. I wanna know what their priorities are, what they care about, what the political situation is, who the decision makers are, you know, how, how much money they have to spend, what's the decision making, whatever it is, I want knowledge. The second thing I want is access to those buyers that I don't have access to. I mean, think about how hard that is, right? So I want access to those buyers. The beauty of alliances and partnerships, there's nothing new here. This has always been the core value proposition of partnering. Why? Go back to my earlier story about the GSI when we started the company in 2002. Who has access to the buyers? Who has the executive relationships? Who has access to those buying centers? The partners. In some cases, they might have hundreds of relationships in the sure. same account, the same account that you're selling into. So I laugh when I hear salespeople say they own the account. No one owns the account. I mean, I would just say, be really careful when you say that, if you ever say that, because you don't own the account. So the key is these partners in this new, in this COVID world, what we're seeing, the smartest of the smart salespeople are leveraging their ecosystem relationships. Because the reason, what's again, what's the one thing that we all want in a, in a relationship with our customer? Trust. Right. We want trust. We want to be an advisor. We want to be the one, you know, when they've got a problem, they pick up the phone and they call us. Well, think about that. If the partner that has that trusted advisor relationship is already in that account, they're the ones that already know what's going on. And you could try to, you can't do it anymore. As charismatic and as a smooth talker as anybody is that's out there that's listening to this, to the sales hustle. Let me tell you something, brother or sister, it ain't going to work anymore. You've got to be smarter. You've got to be scrappier. You've got to think a little bit outside the box and leverage the relationships that can get you access to what you want and need. And that's where partnerships play a, are playing a bigger and bigger role. Now, let me ask you, let me ask you, pause you there. So is that, so is that why companies are putting so much more focus on the ecosystem? Right where they see that their their direct sales teams can only get so far, you know, they, they can't push into the upper echelons of the relationship, or is it a speed to market? Like, what what's driving the ecosystem play? I will tell you this: what's driving ecosystems isn't about go to market and sales. It's about business. It's about the customer again. Okay, let's just step back. The real change that's going on is the overall business model of companies. You know, can a single company go to market alone? They can. I mean, if you really even think about, again, going back to when we started the company in 2002, our premise was look across the value chain from the supply side and the demand side. And what we fundamentally believed that companies were gonna have to make 
really tough build by partner decisions across that value chain, right? And when you say build, that means am I going to hire more salespeople, build more factories, et cetera? That's build. Buy, either I have that capability or I don't have that capability or I don't have access in that geography or that market. So I might have to go buy. Exactly. So people do acquisitions. But alliances and partnerships is much richer. I mean, and it's a, it's a different kind of approach. It could be everything from a very loose, um, you know, marketing referral agreement all the way up to an equity-based joint venture between a company and everything in between. But the difference is we've all been operating in an ecosystem for a very long time. What's changing today, if you look at the seventh, seven largest market value companies of the world, and I think, again, I either came from BCG or McKinsey, they'll tell, they'll, it shows the top seven largest market value companies in the world are considered ecosystem companies. So when you start looking at even like a digital native company, like a, and I'm not talking about Apple, I'm talking about now you look at Uber and Airbnb, and these are, these are ecosystem models, the way that they're coming. So ecosystem by itself is a fundamental change to how we're looking at business. And the reason this ties so nicely to digital transformation or digital is what really digital transformation is all about is fundamentally rethinking your overall business model and reinventing your operating model as if you were digital from, from day one. So if you put that digital, if you put the customer at the center and you, and you really think digital, and all the things that we could do to make the best possible experience for our customers, that's where it starts. Okay, so that's what drove the ecosystem. Then within the ecosystem, it kind of goes back to what we're calling today the get to market and the go to market. So yes, we're reinventing how we get to market and we're modernizing how we go to market. So yes, so within the context of that, now as we think about innovation, and we think about new solutions, we've got to think about partnerships. We have to think about what is our core capability and where do we leverage other partners to build out that whole solution? You know, nothing new. Jeffrey Moore's been talking about it for a long time, you know, from, you know, crossing the chasm. But it's that today the ecosystems are much more deliberate. It's, it's a much more deliberate go-to-market. Most of my consulting around with the alliances side is looking at the lens through a ecosystem and looking at the lens beyond sell through, which was just channel, to look at that sell with and multi-partnering. So that's becoming more mainstream. So what's happening is you're doing that, yeah. Now, the change, Tom, to our friends on the sales hustle here, is that salespeople are finally waking up so I would say prior to COVID, um, some partner people were begging the direct sales guys, please, please, please work with my partner so we can right. sell a joint. No, the end customer really wants us to show up together and, and bring a real solution to solve their problem. But in addition to that, back to our story, now they need them. Now they need access to those, and the ones that are smart are leveraging them and are having phenomenal years, phenomenal years. And um, it's, it's, it's new, it's different. But again, and, and what we try to bring at Alliance Fair to our clients is a more 
repeatable, predictable, scalable approach to how you do collaborative partner selling. You know, it's not, it's counter, it's, it's, it's sort of, um, yeah, does it make sense? Put two salespeople in a room or put two salespeople on a Zoom call and let's go sell together. Sounds, sounds easy. It's not. And remember, it's a, it takes time and trust right. takes time. So those are, that's the change that's going on with ecosystems, Tom. To be really frank, what we're seeing is ecosystems are becoming mainstream. Ecosystems are a deliberate go-to-market strategy. It's not just, yeah, we've been part of an ecosystem, but we want to go to market together as an ecosystem. And then we have to work together on multi-partnering and selling together. It's not just two-way partnering anymore. We see on average, it's six to seven partners are on average on most of the enterprise deals today or more. And so wow. the question is, are sales leaders ready for that? And no, normally they're not. They're, and they're, they're terrified of it. You know, well, and how, why? Yeah, go ahead. Why, well, how? So let's, so six to seven partners on a given deal, right? These are big, complex solutions that, you know, again, large sales organizations that you're supporting, big, complex deals selling, you know, large, um, large ticket items. So how does a company go out and organize these partners? And they must be mindful to say, okay, well, we provide this, you provide that, right? Let's start to come together. And, you know, is that the product? Does it start with like the product team that kind of builds the solution? And then internally, the product team has to partner with the sales and marketing team to kind of bring all that together to kind of then train the sales teams collectively. And then somehow you have to get your teams with the six or seven other teams kind of working together. I mean, just the complexity of that is is, is overwhelming. And like who leads that inside of a, you know, a single company? And, and I guess that kind of goes back to why. The uh, so, 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 Tom, so Tom, I want to just say this. Obviously, over the last couple of years of us becoming uh, closer and closer, you've heard something that I've said because you articulated that uh, beautifully. <laughs> and I just want your audience to know that sounds like a little bit of a layup for me. And so I appreciate uh, the question, but you, you did a really good job because you are absolutely right. I do think it begins way upstream from the product teams. You know, the product teams are very much, you know, and it depends on how your organization is, is set up, but yeah, the strategy and the product teams who are trying to figure out the customer and the markets that they want to sell, they're very much involved in this early stage. That's why I've been saying separate the problem first through a get to market and a go to market problem. That's that's step one is what I'm saying. There is a difference between the get to market. That's that upstream activity of orchestration around what we have to do to bring something to market. OK, and and separate the two. They're interconnected, and you know, as we move in this agile world where we need to test and validate and do things quick, you know, through a minimal viable product lens, but you are separating the get to market and the go to market. So let, let's start there. I think what partners struggle with is defining the roles in that ecosystem, mm. because there is there needs to be a single leader, believe it or not. There needs to be an orchestrator. And then you have to know, you know, are, are you a contributor or not? You know, what is your role in that ecosystem? And there's a lot of great data out there about this, including stuff we've written and others about how you build ecosystems. So building the ecosystem in itself, that's what I mean by being deliberate. So when I said deliberate is meaning you're, you're, you're deliberately thinking about 
a customer or a market and you're deliberately building an ecosystem around it. There are lots of different definitions in the market about ecosystems and how they're developed, but let's just focus on deliberate ecosystem development. So in that deliberate model, yeah, you defined it, you try to, I would say, you know, everyone knows the best practice is typically around the use case. You know, try to focus on, you know, one, one use case, one ideal customer profile, kind of go out, make sure that you figure it out. That in itself is a lot of, like you said, that's some heavy lifting. That's some real work. Even just doing that, and most people don't do that very well, okay? And that, and that here we haven't even sold anything yet. All we're trying to do at this point is bring an offering together right. to an ecosystem of partners. But that's not going to get anybody really excited. The second part of it is the go-to-market. It's the same thing. You have to deliberately think about the go-to-market, and you have to deliberately think about who plays what role in the go-to-market? And, and, you know, everything from who's going to take the paper? You know, who's going to take the paper? How is the money going to get split amongst us? What role do we play in the early stage of the selling cycle versus the medium or at the late stage? And, you know, and one of the other problems is not everybody benefits, you know, when the transaction happens. Maybe another partner gets money six months down the road. So one's getting a lot of money now and the other. So there's just a lot of factors that go into collaborative selling on that go-to-market. So what's happening on the go-to-market side is we just got to, that's why I use the word modern. We've got to be much more modern in our thinking. You know, I, I find that we are just so old school. You know, we, 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 we want to slug our way through a sales cycle. Instead of thinking about how are we using data you know, one of the things that people do really poorly on, on the ecosystem selling is just selecting the right account. I know it sounds pretty pretty basic. You know, let's go pick Coca-Cola because they're a big account and we both want to sell into Coca-Cola. But then that might be the, the best account. The problem with that is we spent six months trying to sell the Coca-Cola, wasting all this time in cycles, and then we get frustrated with one another and we go, it won't work. Partnering sucks. Well, maybe it doesn't suck that bad if we actually put a we we put some profile data together, we put some selection criteria, and then we realize actually we should have been selling to Delta Airlines. Or you know, I'm just using that sure, as an example. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think that we jump to conclusions that we know what we're doing. And I'm just saying, please take the time to think about it so that you can create a great experience for your sellers and a great experience for the customer. So so the Modernizing the go-to-market and putting real processes, you know, and structure in place for collaborative selling is a must. You know, there's some companies investing heavily in this. You know, Microsoft is truly leading the way. Um, you know, they get that there's a co-sell model. They get it. Think about it. If you're Microsoft, you want the new workloads going on their cloud. Amazon wants it. Google wants it. So anybody that can, can it's, it's one thing to go recruit the ISV. It's another thing to work together with that ISV to help them land a deal that then goes onto your cloud. Right. So trust me, there's a battle out there for this. This isn't just a hobby. This is not, oh, partnering, it's, it's a nice to have. This has become a must have. And that's the change that's really happened over the last several years. Because of cloud, because of SaaS, but COVID just, boom, put a spotlight on it. Hmm. So, you know, I think back to your question, yeah, it is a lot of work. It's a new discipline. It's a rigor. 
And, and what we're seeing in the industry, the best in class organizations are doing this. Let me, let me can I give you a, a couple of yeah. examples? Well, so we work with Cisco. I'll just use, you know, I'll just share the Cisco example. And, um, you know, Cisco came to us with a business problem several years ago. And what they realized when they started thinking about the new solutions that were going to be needed in the market for the customer, and they were moving to business and customer outcomes, they realized this factor that multi-partnering was becoming a new thing. That not one, you know, I can't just sell a product through a channel. That this concept of partnering was going to be important. You know, the co-sell was important across different customer segments. But the other thing that everybody has realized was this concept of P2P, partner to partner. So partner to partner is this notion that not only do I have to enable my channel, but I have to enable my channel to more effectively work with my ecosystem. The partners need to work with other partners. Now that's complex, right? So we ended up working on a really cool project with um, Cisco to kind of address that problem. So we created a structured process around that around four key things, alignment, activation, action, and accountability. So we, we basically looked at the customer, you know, the solutions and the types of solutions we're selling, the motion, and then we basically had a process for how we align the stakeholders up front, how we activate those teams to go to market together, how the, the action was driving that at the last mile, and the accountability is the governance around the model. That particular body of work not only drove, let's just say, millions and millions of pipeline growth and bookings for Cisco and the channel, so it worked really well. It was recognized by Gartner as a best-in-class uh, for co-selling. So it's just an example. So I think the point is what we see going on is, is investment in this area. We are seeing companies really invest in the same way we saw people invest, you know, 25 years ago in sales methodology, you're seeing people investing in collaborative partner planning and sell, selling methodology. You're seeing people take this real seriously because it is critical to the business. The other thing that we're seeing, in the same way that uh, CRM, you know, was you know huge in 1999, you're seeing the marketing automation that hit, you know, in the mid 2000s. And now you're seeing all this around partner enablement. So you're starting to see technology in that marketing and sales tech stack that can really enable partnering. You know, channel automation is emerging, but it's more than just that. It's, more, it's all about eliminating the friction. You know, what I would just say is, when you think about workflow, digital, you know, and, and what we're all trying to do, we're trying to take the mundane processes out of the system, and we're trying to figure out a way to eliminate friction, to create an easier way to sell right. together. And I believe that's what you're going to see in the next five to 10 years. I mean, the power of AI and tools like what you have at, at Nine Lenses are critical for the future of selling. I really do. And partner selling. Well, and I think one of the things that we, you know, as you're unpacking this, you know, I'm just thinking about the individual seller, right, mm -hmm. or the, the the pairs of the sales teams of these partners trying to go and add value to a buyer around these complex solutions, right? So as, you know, if you're a seller at Cisco or at Microsoft or and any of these organizations that have a 
plethora of complex sales or solutions to sell, how am I able to sit down with a buyer and unpack this? Right? Like the challenge to add value to you, the buyer, around your business in a very set of complex Tom, you're, you're, I just feel like you're, you're doing such no, no, a great no. Well, this, this is, I mean, because this is near and dear to my heart, because again, like what we do at Nine Lenses is helping sales reps add value to customers, you know, kind of at scale with these interactive assessments and instant insights and analysis and comparisons to your benchmarks, et cetera, and then using that to then have a better conversation based on where they really are, but not having those tools or even having those tools sometimes is just, you know, these solutions are so complex, right? So I'm just thinking- Yeah, let, 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 me, let me, again, let me try to answer that through a couple of examples. Um, I was on a call last week with a chief revenue officer, uh, actually not the chief revenue officer, I was on the phone with uh, the president of a leading channel company a very large, well-known name in the industry. And on the call, I had he, his chief revenue officer, his chief marketing officer, he had his uh, HR, he had sales ops, and he had an enablement person and his practice lead, his, his person that owned all delivery, on a call with us to talk through his challenges and what he's looking for to transform the way that he delivers value to their customer and what he has to do to transform his sales team. What's, first off, brilliant on his part for having all those stakeholders on the call because that's what this is needed. This is not about just sales. This is, a, this is a wholesale change of how we go to market together and it is a team sport. I'm just gonna tell you, it is not about just the seller, selling leader uh, and the seller. You need all of these things working toward one goal and that's driving value to the customer and building out and driving those outcomes. But I want to share a real example of what he said because I'm not sound, but this is a classic issue in the channel. Channel companies have been built for the most part doing two things. On one end, being really tight with the vendors and, and them telling you what and them telling them what to go do and them doing it in the market, and they've been making a lot of money that way. The second part is they've been showing up to the customer, you know, basically <laughs> opening up their coat and go, I got a line card, what, what products do you want, okay? Right. Theoretically, have they really been doing solution selling? And theoretically, have they really figured out what their unique value is, what they, what they really bring to the table, other than just being another reseller who's got good relationships with both sides, but it's not enough. So, What's really going on in the market now is that you have to really figure out, number one, what is your unique value? What, what is it? I mean, is it that you're really strong in a certain vertical? Is it that you're really strong around a certain solution or a certain capability? But you need to get, is it around a certain customer segment? You know, I'm really strong in mid-market. You're really strong in enterprise. But, you, you know, you need to get really crisp. Mm -hmm. on what it is that you really do that is unique and better than others. And then you need to design your business model you know, around that. So I think, again, this is, these are some hard choices that people really, really have to do as, as we look at making that, you know, getting to the point where you're really creating value, like you were saying, on the sales side. Because right now, 
Um, I don't think that there are a lot of companies that have a lot of generic, non-differentiated value, and they're struggling. Why? Because they're generic and they have non-differentiated value. You know, it, over time, that just sort of dies out. But you have this opportunity to take this. You know, I, I tend to look at the COVID as the great reset. It's really the true reset. You know, it's an opportunity to look, look hard in the mirror at what you do and really redefine your business in a way that's gonna be sustainable for the future. And I think that, um, again, partnering is gonna be a core part of that. Data is gonna be a core part of it. Digital's gotta be a core part of it as you go forward. And then you gotta figure out what it is that you're gonna do that's gonna be unique and different uh, within that business. So as, as you do that, then you can really begin to lay out more of a prescriptive approach for how you're going to sell and deliver value to your customer. I think right now that's the biggest challenge because you're not clear enough. How do you then put the right model and processes in place? You don't even know what your value is. So I think that's that's one of the biggest challenges is, is really being clear about really what makes us different. So if I go back to the to the uh, channel chief, or I'm, I'm sorry, to the uh, to that uh, president that I was talking to, I think that we got into a set of things about, you know, they hear the buzzwords around account-based marketing and they hear the buzzwords about, um, you know, we, you know, creating this demand in the funnel. I mean, all these things are great ideas, but if you don't have a clear line of sight for how you're gonna take the idea all the way through delivering that customer outcome, and you've lined up all the resources against that, it's gonna be very, very hard. So that's what I, I think the challenge is, is trying to look at what you're trying to achieve. And I, my, my advice is very simple. And it's gonna sound kind of like a classic consultant, but it is pretty basic. You've gotta do a baseline on your business. You've gotta understand the context of your situation and define that current state. You need to define for your business what that future state is. What is that North Star? And then you've got to build backwards how you're going to get there. And then when you assess that current state situation, you've got to really think about how you're going to model that business to get to where you're trying to go. And Mo, by the way, you're not going to get there in the next three months or six months. That's a three-year journey. And what you have to do in that three-year journey is build out a plan that's getting that's executing well in the first three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, and, re, and re, keep looking at those milestones along that way. So I think that, that my advice is to take it seriously, put that plan in place, build a model to go execute it, and then um, just keep checking on it to make sure it's working or not working. And I think that's been one of the challenges is how do you, you know, at Cisco, they use a term called perform and transform, and I really like it. You know, that's the balancing act that everybody's dealing with. The perform is optimizing our current business model. The transform is taking us to where we want to go. It's how do we do both at the same time? And I really believe that's what's at the crux for the sales leaders that are listening to this call. You all have the opportunity more than anybody in the industry right now to drive your destination. The CEO is looking for you to drive this revenue growth, but you've got to tell them 
or tell her that this is how we're going to do it. We need to step back and say, this is what's required to go do it. And I promise it's not going to be the old tricks that were in your bag. And again, Tom, I know that, you know, you've got a company that I, I think is fantastic and I love what Nine Lenses does, but there's plenty of other things that are out in the market like Nine Lenses, but people need to invest in these digital tools. They make a real difference. Um, think about how boring it must be. I mean, I hope people are enjoying this podcast, but, you know, having a more interactive experience, showing data quickly, showing them a, a possible solution, the kind of stuff that, you know, Nine Lens has done is very, very provocative and, and engaging. And I think that's the question. How do you engage? How do you create a better experience um, in a world that people are just, you know, well, tired? Yeah. Well, and we're tired. And you can't, I mean, like the Zoom experience is very limiting, right? So you're sharing slides or something, right? And, and you can't, there are no whiteboards to get uh, at some of these things. So like being able to really, you know, have a sidebar conversation, you know, in a in a conference room and that sort of thing, it's just very different, right? It's just, it's, it's a very different environment. And I think one of the things that we see is, you know, people and, and, sales leaders are struggling to help their salespeople to navigate this, right? How can they get out there, get somebody on the phone and demonstrate knowledge and expertise and trust, you know, without really seeing, touching, feeling, being there with the customer. And so doing that at scale, right, is to me, the solutions are just getting more and more complex every day, right? Like what's being asked of a sales rep, like you and I have talked about this a bunch, most sales reps now are over-reliant on their sales specialists or sales engineers because, gosh, if I have to go in and have a real deep, meaningful discussion around this big offering that I don't really know much, I need help, right? So all of a sudden, you know, you're scaling these specialist teams that were never designed to be frontline salespeople, right? And I know you see that and, and helping to figure out what are the right ratios. And obviously, like our solution helps the frontline seller do that sort of thing. But like, talk about some of the dynamics of just about the complexity of these solutions that you're talking about and how it actually lives and operates at that, you know, the frontline. Great point. I mean, you know, I think that's really interesting because when we look at, uh, as organizations have been shifting to this land adopt, expand, renew model, you're seeing more and more concept of sales specialists, uh, the importance of the sales engineer. But in addition to that, you're seeing the role of customer success, you know, being thrown into this. And the customer success person plays a really important role on making sure that the uh, adoption and the outcomes are being achieved based on what we sold. You know, Mark Benioff, really pioneered that. I mean, it's been around, but it was Salesforce that really pioneered the customer success model. And you're seeing it everywhere in the in the world. And even in concept of customer success, one of the other points is what does customer success mean with my channel, with my partners? Because as I'm trying to do this, what's the role that partners play on, within customer success? Uh, or how do how do partners create their own customer success organization? So there's a lot of interesting new roles, I would just say, getting thrown into the model around solution selling, you know, which has been around forever. But uh, but people are realizing that I need certain expertise uh, to support me in the sales cycle. So now, if we're moving into a world that we call a virtual 
digital and automated world, which I really do believe that's where we're going to, you know, we've got to get better and better at coordinating or orchestrating the roles, even inside my own company. Now, add the complexity to what I'm about to say, which I'm trying not to. I don't want people to be afraid of what this is. I actually want you to lean in and embrace what I'm about to say. But yeah, you got to figure out how to sell in a team model. And guess what? Some of your team members may not be part of your company. They might be partners and you got to bring them in and you got to lead that and you got to learn how to sell. And, you know, trust is at the core of all of this. I mean, I don't want to underestimate, you know, how important trust is. And so I see the tools like, like with nine lenses, just as an example. What's amazing about nine lenses from my standpoint is an ability to have a common version of the truth around how we're trying to sell a solution. Simple as that may sound. So by going through you know, the methodology, working with you, and we're able to kind of set up the assessment questions, okay? And then you set up the assessment questions because every salesperson needs to assess the opportunity. You know, they're trying to qualify right, right. the opportunity. Sure. Okay, great. It'd be nice to have a common approach for that. Well, that's what Nine Lenses does. In addition to that, it gives instant feedback to the customer so they can see how they responded. You can even begin to benchmark that against their peers. There's, there's all kinds of cool and innovative ways, but I think what is that doing? That's driving greater productivity, greater efficiency in your company, but also creating a better experience for the seller and the customer. I mean, and you know, I know we're all about driving the revenue, but we have a ton of data that shows by improving the customer experience, by improving the customer success, it's going to generate happier, more loyal, and, and increased revenue from customers. Sure. So don't underestimate the power and the value of that. So as as I as I think about all of this, you know, it's just it's just it really requires. I'm just gonna. We need to all kind of take a deep breath, think about what we're really trying to sell in the market select the three to five key things that we want to go do and be great at and leverage digital and partners as part of that. I'm telling you, if you're, or data even, I would say you need to leverage digital, you need to leverage data, you need to leverage partners, you know, in a cohesive, integrated way. And I'm, right. I know that seems bold, but when you look at the data, people are talking about making the kind of changes that they said was going to be nine years from now, today. You know, I think someone today was telling me, and I've heard it from Satya from Microsoft. It was someone who was from Michael Dell. But, you know, something that was taking, you know, three years is happening in three months. You know, this is the world we're living in. Yeah. I, I don't know why people would be holding back on even doing a proof of value with nine. I mean, why? What? What? Why wouldn't you do that? That's what I'm not getting. You know, it sort of drives me bananas when I don't understand why. We're not trying, you know, we're living in a world where it's about being agile. You know, people talk about sprints over three weeks, all day long. We talk about experimentation. I can give all the buzzwords. Well, why would we not be experimenting right now around using some of the platforms that are out there that can change the, the, the buying and selling experience? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I would love to hear from anybody who's listening to the podcast. Let us know because 
um, I often find, um, you know, we get what I would call pretty lame um, objections. You know, you know, look, it's like it's like it's like, you know, when you're married and, you know, they say there's never a great time to have kids. And then once you have kids, it's the most wonderful experience in the world and you wouldn't trade it in the world. Right. I think there's something to be said uh, related to these digital platforms. You know, everybody, oh, we don't need that right now. They think it's some fancy thing that is a, a, a nice to have versus a must have. But you and I have seen the power of it. We've seen, I mean, nothing excites me more than watching someone light up, you know, seeing a customer light up when they see that assessment, you know, and they, they yeah. wow. So, that's exciting to watch your customer light up, to watch your seller on the front line light up and create a better experience. And, you know, but it's just one of many things that are going on right now. And, I, you know, guys, it's time to it's time to do things just a little different. Shake. You know, as I said in my, my note, as I said, let's shake it up. Let's have let's do things a little differently. You know, you may not have came into this call thinking you're going to leverage partners. I hope that you leave this today going, man, I didn't think about that. Maybe I should leverage my partners. Maybe I should pick up the phone and actually call one of my partners and see what they're doing. Ask them how they're doing. You know, this is a world where empathy is so important. And it goes such a long way. Just call people and ask them how they're doing. Call your partners. Um, see how they're doing. I, I, I would tell you it would go a long way. And, you're, and I know you don't believe this. Your customers expect you to do this, and they want you to do this. They are so tired of trying to figure this out, you know, you know, from this company and this company and eight companies showing up. They're looking for someone to bring it together. Yeah. And, and you know, going back to that one guy that I was telling you about, you know, what he said to me was their, their customer is saying to them, you know, I'm buying a cybersecurity solution, I'm buying a network solution, I'm buying this solution, I'm buying that solution. But the end customer is saying, you know what, I, I want to buy all that. But if you could come to me with a problem statement and solve that and show me the overall solution and package it up in an MRR, a monthly recurring revenue, I'm really interested in that. So there's the change that's going on in the way the customers want to buy is different. It's they're looking for a lot of this is leadership. A lot of this is leading the leading everybody through this. And so I hope that the you know our audience, whoever's listening to this today, that you get this advantage over everyone else uh, by by figuring out a way to leverage partners, to leverage digital technology in a way that really transforms the experience. Mm. And yeah, I right. would love and I would love for whoever's listening to let us know, you know, 90 days from now, did it make a difference or not? I mean, I would love to, you know, I, I believe you would see some dramatic uptick, um, not only in pipeline growth, not only in bookings, but also in um, enhancing your relationship and improving the overall customer experience. Really do believe that. Well, thank you, Lauren. I know we're almost out of time here, but just just in closing, just tell us a little bit about how you got to be where you are today, right? Like, you know, young Lauren, you were you know, in college, how'd you get to where you are today? A channel expert, just, just give us a little color, kind of who Lauren is. All right. So, um, right out of school, I was very fortunate. Um, 
this is what I call the old school. Um, I was fortunate to get a job at NCR, you know, and it's not National Cash Register. It was NCR. And um, at the time, it was one of the best sales programs in the world. Uh, and I was very fortunate to get the job because it had formal sales training. And they don't do this today, but it was a formal program where you're taught uh, skills for six months and then you have a senior and you're not even allowed to carry a bag on your own until you and your senior retire the quota in their, in their territory. So it was a program that had formal training, you know, both soft and hard skills, uh, you know, all the stuff around video and, you know, teaching us, you know, going through a sales process. Uh, in addition to that, we learned industry and we learned technology. Uh, we learned, you know, presentation and selling skills and all the kind of stuff. But we also um, interned, which was really cool. We interned with our end customers and we had an opportunity to see the world through the eyes of our customer. And then, like I said, you had a senior or, you know, little you know, Jojo Lawrence out there and you're just so starstruck by the guy. You know, at the time they were like four years older than us, but they were like, sales gods to all of us as they're out there like wow how did you do that look at the way they did so we learned a lot just by you know going out on sales calls and watching and learning and talking afterward and, you know the water cooler it was just an unbelievable experience so i had that unbelievable um entry level experience um at the time the company was really shifting at ncr from mom and pop kind of companies to large major accounts and I had grown up um, in an entrepreneurial family, and um, I had some experience um, with my father's business being around executives from Coca-Cola. So um, early in my career, um, I, I had the fortunate opportunity to be put on the Coca-Cola account very, very early on in my career. And we were fortunate as a team to crack that account. Uh, this was during the days of client server open systems, and I drank the Kool-Aid. I really believed that we were changing the world. I really believed that, um, you know, this movement to open systems versus closed was the better way to go. And mainframe was bad and client server was good. And, you know, you'd be surprised at how hard it was to convince an IBM customer that TCP IP, which we all take for granted today as a common communication right. protocol, was a better protocol. <laughs> they fought it. They literally fought it. But, you know, one thing that we saw was, um, you know, open systems won, client server won. And my career has been very, very fortunate where I've had incredible mentors, uh, incredible coaches, um, great customers, great colleagues, uh, great partners that honestly, every day I have learned so much getting the opportunity with work to work with so many great people. So I, I really look at my life as an ongoing learning adventure where, you know, I, I just aspire to, to really do great things for customers. I mean, I, I really, I mean, that really is my North star. I mean, it's yeah. anybody that knows me. I mean, I, I'm, I'm fighting the good fight and I just believed somewhere early in my career. And, and honestly, to answer your question, calling on Coca-Cola, trying to sell open system and client server, I somehow began, started partnering with Intel, with Microsoft, with PeopleSoft, with Oracle at the time. All of us had a common interest 
for winning at Coca-Cola over IBM. And so you could argue we had a common enemy, so we bonded. I was young, I was like 23 years old. All the reps were like 10 years older than me. I was sort of leading the process, but each of them were like my big brother. Um, and each of us um, won together, you know, we won. Now, what's funny about that story, Tom, is I didn't even know what I was really doing at the time was partnering or channel. I really, I was a direct sales guy trying to solve customer problems and I was being innovative in how to solve that problem. It really wasn't until I left um, NCR. Oh, and then the other thing that happened at NCR while I was there and we got acquired by, you know, AT&T, we acquired Teradata. So I got in early on around data analytics um, and data warehousing and then, you know, being part of AT&T and then not part of AT&T. It was just a crazy time. But one thing that I observed by the time I got into the internet in, you know, 20, like 1997, more or less, was I saw during client server, the winners versus the losers were the companies that partnered. You know, I saw back then, the companies that had applications to run on their platform were those companies. So. Partnering just became something that I saw that was really important. And for me, I I just invested in it. I sort of doubled down and said, you know what? I'm gonna try really hard to be great at alliances and partnerships. And that's really what I've been doing for the last, you know, awesome. 20, 25 years. And um, we we just love helping our clients realize the value from the promise. Because there's a ton of promise in partnerships. Everybody all day long. You know, it's practically easy, but it's, 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 the, I mean, it's theoretically easy and practically hard to do. You know, we try really hard to mitigate that risk and help clients get the value from partnerships. And, you know, I love what we do together in our partnership, Tom. And um, I'm, I'm just, again, want to thank you. I know we're at the end here, but thank you so much. I know this is uh, an awesome uh, podcast that you're running. I know you're going to have some great speakers and uh, I wish you the best of success. Well, and, thank you. Uh, Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you coming on the Revenue Hustle. It's um, great to just let others take in some of the conversations that we have routinely. Uh, You are a great friend, good partner, and uh, we thank you for your time and look forward to catching up with you down the road. Excellent. Thank you all. Look forward to catching up with some of you out there as well. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Revenue Hustle. This episode has been brought to you by Nine Lenses, Close more deals with interactive assessments. Check them out at ninelenses.com. See you next time.